You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. On another exciting entry of Animation Deliberation, we continue our weekly coverage of Demon Slayer's Entertainment District arc with episode 10, Never Give Up. We're going to get right into that after some ads we have no say over whatsoever. You're invited to explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and float along the rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. Plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. Sing along if you know the words. A one, two, three, it's time for animation, deliberation, a conversation and a celebration of our favorite action animated series. Yeah. All right, folks, welcome back to Animation Deliberation, the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. And uh, I got to say, this week, it's it's tough not to take it too seriously because whoo-wee, what an episode. But I'm not alone to discuss it. This week, I am joined by the Animation Deliberation Demon Slayer Dream Team. Gentlemen, introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Zuhair. Uh As much as I love the show, I cannot wait for... Uh, I'm, a, I'm really happy that next week's the last episode <laughs> for the <laughs> sake of my emotions. Oh. Fair enough. <laughs> and I am Andrew Rogers, and I I don't know how to process any of this. I don't want it to be over, but I also don't know how it keeps going. Like it's it's everything and nothing. It's something else. The show <laughs> the show is a masterpiece. That's all I can say. A masterpiece. Oh yeah. Okay. Masterpiece is pretty high praise. So on that note, before we get super spoilery, it's going to be tough to withhold our thoughts for too long. So uh, Zuhair, I'll start with you. On a scale of, yeah, two. Yeah! Where are you landing on this week's episode? I can't even, like, ride on that, because, like, the excitement of going through a... Yeah, like, I, I can't even, like, pretend to do it, because it just doesn't match, <laughs> like... Like, my emotions don't convey to the rating, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> it's just a really it's... damn good episode. Um, it doesn't well register paced. on the octave? Nah. <laughs> nah. Yeah, I, I have no. to agree with Zuhair on that. Like, if you were to take out the last thirty seconds, I would be through the like through the roof with volume and excitement and everything else. And then things happen that obviously turn your stomach into knots and everything else. So it's like, how how do I quantify this in terms of excitement versus turmoil? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. This week was kind of a unique experience for me just because my brother kind of like stepped into the room as like watching alongside me. So I was explaining things to him at the same time, but he was obviously enraptured with what was going on. And I kept telling him the episode's probably going to end right here. The episode's probably going to end right here. 
the episode's probably going to end right here. So in that regard, I was actually extremely satisfied with the momentum of the story and, and some of the things that happened. But yeah, we definitely leave things off in a pretty uh, dire situation. So uh, the one thing I do have to plug before we get super into the episode is that we do have a review contest going on right now. I've mentioned it at the end of the last couple of episodes, but uh, the first five reviews that we get on Apple Podcasts, or if you review at another place, just let us know at animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com or any of our social medias, the Instagram especially, and uh, we will enter the first five new reviews into a drawing. The prize is a custom commission cartoon by yours truly. So give us some love if you like what we're doing, and uh, I will uh, prepare a cartoon for you. And if you need an idea and a little portfolio of this masterpieces, check out jscotty4real on Instagram. That's for the number R-E-E-L. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. You, you, you flatter. I don't know if, if masterpieces, uh, if I feel comfortable with that in terms of you just calling this episode a masterpiece. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take the praise. So thank you. You said it yourself. It's the highest praise. It's well-deserved. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right, fellas, now that we've gotten the non-spoiler talk out of the way, let's just get right into it. Go ahead and and gush. Who wants to go first? I'm going to jump in, not even about the story. I'm going to talk the animation and the music in this episode. Um, We're both, I think, the best that the series has ever done, including the Mugen Train movie. I think this completely outdid that scale. The fire throughout the entirety of the beginning... I think may have been photo real. It looked very, very close to them actually like rotoscoping in real flames. So whatever animation they were doing was flawless. Uh, the entirety of the fight between Uzui and well, I guess that spoilers a little bit. Uzui still back. Uh, that entire fight was just the most beautiful, stunning thing. Um, I might be a little partial cause I watched it on a new computer monitor, but it was just crisp wow. everywhere. And then I've talked the past couple weeks about the music, how they've played with us kind of like our subconscious, the entirety of Mm -hmm. the opening sequence where um, Guitaro is like stalking Tanjiro. There's zero music. Mm -hmm. They made it so eerie and just you, you had this gut feeling of something's not right. Why is it quiet that entire time? The only thing you had was the sound effects of the fire and them talking. And then they brought in music for the second half of the episode and that music just picked up and was fantastic. So they just did a really good job composition wise. We can go over the story in a moment, but I wanted to call out all of this was some of the best work that I think this studio has ever done. Possibly the best anime episode that I've seen period, just in terms of quality. Yeah, and just to hype on a little on uh, what you were talking about with the no music, I went and saw Jackass yesterday, and that Hmm. level of cringe in my stomach was about the same as watching this Demon Slayer episode. Obviously, much different context, but just the level (laughs) of discomfort of like what I was seeing and the vibe that it was giving was definitely on par with, you know, a bunch of idiots doing cringeworthy stuff. Uh, But that being said, like, yeah, it was so visually amazing. Uh, Mugen Train definitely did set a high bar, and I felt that this did match it, if not exceed it. There's been a lot of stuff from season one where, or even in Mugen Train, where we see a lot of uh, landscape environments, and they that was like more detailed and more photoreal than the show itself actually was. But because mm. we've been in the entertainment district and been more in buildings and in a city life, like I don't, I think we've 
missed the level of detail that they truly go into that. So when they stepped into the fire and there was more nature and less of like, um, like human structure and whatnot, we we kind of we kind of like put that on the shelf and they just brought all that level of detail back out. But yeah, visually just stunning. For sure. Yeah. It, the production value was absolutely phenomenal. And that's one of the things I said to my brother when we were watching, especially I think the moment that it really kind of peaked for me in terms of like the music and the, just the fluidity, fluidity of the animation plus the number of colors on screen was when Utsui came back into the, into the battle and uh, basically broke down Gitaro's attack and turned it into a song. Just everything that was happening there was just so satisfying on every single level. And I even told my brother, I was just like, how can you not be into this anime already? Just seeing this, this level of quality. And he agreed. Yeah. And that showing of his power was phenomenal. Like this whole time we've been questioning, like he could do cool things. We want to see more. I did not expect anything like that. And it felt a little reminiscent of, uh, jimmy neutron like brain blast moment of like going into like the neurons of his thoughts and breaking everything down i was like what is going on this is amazing um and that was just another moment i agree of the animation just they they took my breath away because i didn't know what was going on but it was still a perfectly painted picture in front of me certainly certainly yeah and i have to admit i don't think i i did not pick up on the like absence of music in the first part of the episode and We've already got to spend a little bit of time with Guitaro and just know how creepy he is, but uh, just having him taunt Tanjiro the way he did and even like admit to him that he liked him because of how disgraceful he was and like contemplate the idea of turning him into a demon so that they could be friends was just uh, really riveting stuff. So, yeah, Akaza did something similar. So clearly these uh, higher ranked demons really are you know working on a recruiting process for their upper oh, levels true. yeah because yeah. they do need to find other powerful people in some regard to help their ranks i guess because they lost half of the kizuki when muzan took them out so they're probably like all right we got to replenish here a little bit if the demon slayer were killing as many as they're killing yeah very true the demons want you i'm gonna like take an uncle sam poster and put like muzan's <laughs> face and place there's definitely that. a picture of akaza pointing out there somewhere you can you can pull <laughs> for sure i was sure. trying to find um like what the what the japanese equivalent of doremi facilitito was because hmm. uh when he was going through like tracking the blood sites like he was actually like saying i guess like notes of some sort so i was like wondering like hmm. what the equivalent was of like that's what he was saying like while he was closing the distance hmm. but i could not find something because i know in hindi they have a different one too so i was like "Ooh, what is it do you know the the hindi one off the top of your head Sare gama padanisa. interesting interesting yeah i didn't even think about that but you're probably right on the money it was something um equivalent to that doremi faso latigo or what have you but yeah um i mean the episode just picked up answering pretty much all the questions that we had coming off of the last episode was inosuke we dead but yeah we were wrong about everything i threw my <laughs> arms in the air i was so so happy yeah yeah and 
I did laugh a little bit at his explanation, being able to shift his organs around oh, in his body was I like was second nature to it, it was like some <laughs> that was so funny it was a weird Chekhov's <laughs> gun like how do you how did we know they were foreshadowing that when he's like i can move my body and dislocate joints like it was good storytelling but why? <laughs> i move my organs <laughs> <laughs> yeah we did see him like burrow through the like tunnels like a worm so it's it's all there it's within the continuity it's nothing that uh we couldn't have guessed but I just didn't see it coming. And he still has the poison in him. I think everyone's been poisoned at this point, except for maybe Zenitsu. Right? Yes. Zenitsu wasn't poisoned because he was with uh, Daki the whole time. And okay. Inosuke, because he lived in the harsh mountain environment, poisons nothing to him. Hmm. Well, then. That was part Tondra. of his dialogue, too. <laughs> yeah. But Tanjiro took one of the sides, like, right through the chin. And that point in the moment, or that moment in the episode i like let out an audible gasp which is like yeah. holy crap that was disgusting uh, the, they got yeah. brutal in this episode like i i mm-hmm. don't think i felt as guttural of feelings toward a fight since invincible like this kind of gives me that similar sure. feelings yeah. internally as that show did of like i need to process this this was a lot Oh, Uzi was just like holding the sword in his mouth and then just showing like how capable he was moving i was like Oh, I, I thought the chain was going to be a problem for him. And I guess like eventually it got cut off too. So he only has to worry about one sword now, but yeah. And at, at one point it looked like he took like a scythe, like directly to the head. Like I couldn't tell how deep it went into his, his forehead, oh. but it looks like it started to go into his eye at the end. When he was telling Tanjiro to run, his eye was gone. There was a slash oh, like, yeah, through yeah. his left, the left side of his face and his eye was gone. Yikes. Yeah. And so his left side is just demolished. They all took some bad hits. It was, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you walk away from that either, as calmly as he was. Like, just no eye still keep fighting. Well, he's flashy. Yeah, that he is. That he is. But yeah, it was just, uh, by the end of the episode, we do have both uh, Gitaro and Daki beheaded. It was Tanjiro that was able to... Uh, behead Gitaro and then Zenitsu plus Inosuke took care of Daki. But just the way the story has been going so far, I just kept thinking that they're going to find a way out of this. Like they're not both going to get beheaded by the end of this episode. And by the time that both of their heads go flying through the air and then land and roll to face each other, I was just all sorts of hell yeah. I, I still like couldn't believe it, but it was also this perfect artistic moment. Like there was a bit of yin and yang as the heads were flying through the air. You you felt like them coming together was some symbolic method, but also it was like something mm-hmm. something's wrong. What I don't know what it is, but something else is happening. I think I was more appealed by when they were in the air with like the mood in the background and everything. Like just the beauty of just the timing of them like being cut off, especially after Zenitsu like put the emphasis of like. Tanjiro got me this one in a million opportunity like we need to mm-hmm. take advantage of it but like it's they still gave us a moment of it being hopeless like the blade wasn't cutting through Zenitsu couldn't get it on his legs were getting shattered and then the other two showed up so it's like that really highlighted that moment just like seeing them fly through the air like that it was cool how it landed together but I guess that was a little more I don't want to say predictable but like I saw that coming, but there there was a sense of just like seeing it up in the air. It's like, oh my god! Like after the last few episodes of just false hope and thinking that it got it through, it's like they're done. Like there's two heads. 
It's in the air. Yeah. Nothing's attaching them. We're good, right? Right? Oh, we're not? Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's when you got um Utsui saying, Kamado, like, get up. It's not over. It's not over. And at that point when he was saying it was not over, I was like, I kind of knew what was going to happen at that point. Just it made sense that such a despicable character would have like one final fail safe and just basically cause his body to implode with demon blood art. And that's how the episode ends. You see the entire city go off almost like an atomic bomb. So it's got me concerned, excuse me, for everybody. I mean, I didn't think Utsui was making it out of this alive for a long time now with all the injuries he suffered, but I mean, all three main characters, Nezuko, plus the three wives. We saw them on the rooftop not that far away. So Yeah, and uh, Hinatsuru did not look good on that rooftop either. She she was down for the count. She did not. Yeah. Didn't Suma say, like, look beyond the grave or something like that? And then she got yeah, kind of chastised like, by Makio. <laughs> I was like, did she die? Like, is this how you're telling us she died? <laughs> yeah, that was... It sounded that like That would it. have been really problematic. Um, I will say, I actually didn't know what was going on, how you kind of said you saw it coming a little bit, Scotty. I, mm-hmm. when he was like, it's not over, there's more to come, like, run, I thought Muzan was about to show up. Like, I, I thought the Ooh. big, big bad was around the corner. I thought we were in for somehow something worse than we got. What we got was still pretty bad, but, like, I thought mm-hmm. we were going to have to fight a whole other demon or something like that when he started to say run. I mean, so Giotaro actually straight up said he was like while his neck was getting cut he was like i have to get my blood sickles out that's like yeah. oh you just straight up told us that you were going to do that i wasn't expecting like that level of it um so i was thinking that he was going to do something that guitar just wasn't done yet but the, i was so locked in on was we saying run that i mean i i couldn't have predicted like that just nuclear bomb of a blood show yeah, he was basically on Extremis at that point in time. That's a Marvel reference for you. <laughs> but I I did find myself, you know, we, we talked about how epic this battle was from just the scale to the animation quality. It really has me wondering, like, where can the series go from here? Like, we, we mentioned that it kind of outdid Mugen Train, which was the theatrical release. And we know there are more upper-ranked demon out there, including Muzan himself. So, like, it just has me really fearful i mean obviously the situation we left our heroes in at the end of the episode but even going forward like tanjiro got his fingers broken a side through his chin uh like yeah zenitsu is the only one that did not suffer like grievous bodily injury so i mean he had a building fall on him and his legs are getting destroyed from that technique that he did (laughs) that he did yeah And remember, like, he was knocked out and kidnapped at one point, too, so he never fully recovered from that either. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know where they go and how they do it, but also you say, okay, what does the future of this show hold? These demons are only rank six. Every other demon that is still out there that is a big deal is above them and more powerful than them, so they destroy, like, a whole city trying to fight off these two? What is the next thing going to look like? We still have Akaza to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Do are we aware of any of the other upper rank demons or is Akaza the only one we know about at this point? We've seen flashes Akaza of them and the like flashbacks and stuff, but we don't know any of them by name or by power or anything okay. like that. Hmm. Okay. 
Well, one of the things I kind of wanted to backpedal to is I, I did appreciate as awesome as this episode was in terms of the action and moving the story forward. I felt like we got some nice, nice callbacks to like season one Demon Slayer and some things we haven't seen in a long time, including, oh, well, I guess we saw it at the beginning of the season with Tanjiro doing his headbutt and we got a little bit more context for that at the very end of the episode. But the whole sequence where you, we kind of thought Tanjiro was kind of sniveling and running away and whatnot. When Guitara realized the strategy that he was employing in order to get that kunai in him to get that first beheading opportunity, it reminded me almost all the way back to like the first couple of episodes of Demon Slayer where, uh, help me with the, the water hashira again, Tomioka. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When he acknowledged the strategy that, uh, Tanjiro employed by distracting him, I was just really satisfied with that stuff. It really showed his ingenuity in that moment because I was surprised that Tanjiro was really running away like this. Like I could totally mm-hmm. see it being a very real thing to do when you're in that much fear with no energy. It's like you kind of have to protect yourself and your sister. But to know the whole time he was still being the honorable Tanjiro that we know coming up with a clever plan, distracting him with the things on the ground like it was very very well done to the point that you had the audience convinced that either could be true like i didn't doubt the actions at either point Mm -hmm. yeah when it went in for the head but like i was i was concerned for a moment because i was like there's no way he's getting out of this with just a headbutt like what i was i was worried about like what the the writers were thinking of in that moment then when they added the kunai and then also the detail of like he was able to go toe-to-toe with giotaro after the the beheading didn't work because the right. poison hadn't fully come out yet. I was like, cool, because now we could see some slow, like, the fast stuff is really cool. They make it look really nice with Uzui and Gyotaro, but when it was slowed down and it was Tandra holding his own against him, like, that looked really nice. And um, from, like, familiarity of, like, training with, like, stick and sword and stuff, like, these three fingers are kind of all you need. The the ring pinky and thumb so the fact that he broke the other two in my head i was like he still holds a sword just fine uh so the fact (laughs) that i was right on that he was just using those three i was like cool that's actually a really nice note because i was like how can you fight i assumed it was because he still had that sword strapped to his hand was the only reason he could actually really Mm -hmm. hold it but to know that they took the time to kind of get the realism there how do you choreograph that in a manga or anime like that's so much dedication to the storytelling yeah, I don't have a I don't have a stick like within reach without having to take my headphones off. But basically, it's like your bottom two fingers are what's like holding it in place, and the first two is just kind of like it rocks between there for like flexibility. Mm. So it's just kind of like the, the your in your index and middle finger are just kind of like for motion, while the bottom two are like what's keeping it stable, and okay. then you just tighten down as need be. But in terms of like holding your blade, those three fingers like on a gun is just all you need. It's an impressive level of detail, and it clearly shows that just the dedication and the research that's gone into every single frame of the show. But seeing those fingers snap back and turning like black and then purple definitely gave me some My Hero Academia vibes. Just, you yeah. know, Izuku Midoriya <laughs> constantly breaking his fingers at the beginning of that show. Uh, I question how you heal that, though. Just for like, they talk about them having to like recoup injuries. Can you really come back from your fingers being shattered to that degree? Just tape them together. He'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess that in conjunction with like the breathing techniques, maybe they have a way of like delivering more specific 
calcium and nutrients to that area of the body, maybe. That's my head cannon. Yeah, they don't have the convenience of my hero of having a nurse. I can just kiss it and actually make it better. <laughs> <laughs> but I do appreciate that they go into the detail of saying like, hey, we've been in recovery for like six months to a year. It's not like they're just magically better all the time. Yeah, and, and I guess yeah. I didn't ask the question, but in my head I was asking the question of like, do we think he's going to keep those fingers or not? Like if they can't heal, are they just going to just kind of get rid of them or... And now he's going to be ah, handicapped in some fighting regard, and it's going to play better into the story. I don't know. Now they'll be popped back in and like taped at the least. Yeah, that's for whatever reason, that's making me think of uh, other parts of the episode and some things we had never seen before. And I was kind of ma- imagining if he did lose those fingers when he goes like full power mode, like we saw his scar transform into a flame and it looked like his hair kind of like lit on fire as well. He went just Super like Saiyan. Two... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm <laughs> just kind of imagining two flame fingers kind of appearing and replacing those missing fingers, but I, I do think they'll probably heal properly. Super Slayer in? Ah, <laughs> nice. Now that is an edit that I would uh, definitely look to see someone do some art of for sure. <laughs> mm. Now that whole yeah. transformation was really interesting. Like, is his scar going to now permanently be bigger? Because we've seen it change over the course of the show. Or is it just going to be a thing that, like, we know he's getting angry because he goes, you know, a little Hulk and his scar transforms and stuff? I mean, it'd be cool if he just went so hard that he burned more of his head. That's that's kind of my expectation, but I, I could really see it going either way. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone loves a good transformation. Well. Um, at, at this point, I don't know if I have uh, too much more to say. Actually, you know, I, I am thinking about some of the quieter moments. Like it was nice to not have the action interrupted at all with Tondro doing too much monologuing, which I know you appreciated, Zuhair. But yeah. the quiet moments that we did get, Nezuko kind of stepped up and it was really nice to be able to hear that voice actress do a little bit more than her just kind of mewing and squeaking and, and whatnot. Grunting. Yeah. Yeah, she played a good little sister there. Like it was a it was a nice little in the feels kind of conversation. Sorry, I like that it wasn't that he was like just hallucinating and she was talking to him. Like it actually was conversations from his past that was like connecting with him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that added that added a whole like level of like power to the essence of that too. Cause if it was just like Tanjiro, get up! Like it wouldn't be the same as opposed to like the flashback and the recollection of like his relationship with his sister that actually powered him through. Yeah, exactly. I agree. It just gave so much more context to their past and their relationship, and that's actually where the episode opened. We talked about how last week it was just Tanjiro falling and saying sorry, sorry everyone, sorry Nezuko, and then we opened with this flashback, and she's like why are you always apologizing? Why do you think there's always someone to blame? It was just a really good message. Learning to be happy and knowing that your happiness is your own own control is is something that you kind of have to learn day by day. And it's it's easier in some moments than others, but it's a really good message. And the fact that it did come from his little sister is pretty awesome because we talk about how honorable uh, Tanjiro is and he kind of seems without fault sometimes, which makes him a little difficult to relate to. But just having that acknowledgement, I, I found incredibly satisfying and it was great to get it from Nezuko. Yeah, it, it's a real good embodiment of a brother sister relationship. I have a younger sister and I just kind of had that feeling of like, this is how you teach each other. This is the way that siblings really interact and show like, hey, 
I'm going to help you, but you have to help yourself too. It was just a really nice message, like you said. Definitely. And in Definitely. hindsight, uh, you know, thinking about Giotaro was like criticizing Tanjiro for not being a good big brother because like you're supposed to protect mm-hmm. your little sister and this and that. But now you understand it's like the full dynamic is actually that it is a give and take between them. Yeah, and any sibling will tell you as much as, you know, the older one's going to take care of the younger one, chances are the younger one has probably taken care of the older one more times than they can actually count because they're just relying on each other. They're helping each other. And it's 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 just how siblings are and how that love actually goes. It's not one sided. It's not always going to be that, you know, there is a protective element, but you still have that back and forth for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's making me think. Do we have an age for Nezuko? Is she like fourteen? If Tanjiro's like, 16? I think it was like fifteen and thirteen or something. You you were pretty close with the actual okay. gap. Um, okay, but I will say, as we're on the topic of siblings and the really nice story, oh, she was twelve when she became a demon. Twelve. Oh okay. wow. Okay. Um, the parallel that they had of that moment where Tanjiro realized we both could have been demons. This could have been me and Nezuko together was a really powerful revelation for him to be able to have. Like it was kind of a conversation about fate and, you know, what is your destiny? Things could go a different way. Like these people in a very, very different situation from you really aren't that far off of what you could be. Like, even though he obviously hates these demons, even though Giotaro is obviously a menace and a terrible being, he still kind of had that moment where he seemed to care a little bit and was like, do I really need to do this? This could have been me. Like, I could have been on the other end of this sword. What would that have been like? Was, again, powerful. And they didn't really necessarily need to do that because it didn't add anything to the fight. He didn't pull his punches because he realized it could have been him. But it still was this amazingly moving scene just to show you the emotion of the character. And he just watched Rengoku go down by not turning into a demon as well. So it's like, he just knowing that as a character, like he wouldn't have done that, but that would have been such disrespect to like what he feels towards Rengoku and like what he learned from him to be able to do something like that. Yeah, certainly. I, I did find myself like wondering like if they were both demons, what an absolute terrible force of destruction they would be. I think they would probably outdo Gitaro and Nezuko or excuse me, Gitaro and Daki. But it it does it encapsulates um, Tanjiro's empathy and his ability to relate to these demons. Like he still recognizes the fact that they were humans at one point in time. So I was a little surprised when we got the beheading and their faces like faced each other that we didn't get that flashback to see how they became demons. But I imagine that's probably how the next episode will probably open yeah. or we'll get that pretty quickly after you know discovering the fates of all our characters. But yeah. I don't know if I have anything else to say about this episode. So if you guys have any speculation or predictions for the future, I welcome you to tackle that now. I don't think I have any speculation. Um, I don't think we paid justice necessarily. So I'm going to bring back up that ending scene was just another perfect Mm -hmm. rendition of them playing with music. Uh, The fact that we did not cut to our usual outro because I expected them to almost do the explosion and then cut to outro just so you're sitting there wondering Mm -hmm. what happened. Instead, they did the explosion. You got to see it go off and I'm like, okay, the outro will cut soon. And no, you're just staring as this beautiful smoke appears in the distance and you can see the embers start to fall no music, just the yeah. credits overlaying it. We didn't get our usual. It was just, they let you, I want to say like 
sit there with your mistakes because obviously we did nothing wrong, but they really let you sit there <laughs> and mull over what happened internally. And there, this is not the first show to do that where they fake you out with the credits like that. But it was it's just so mm-hmm. well done. And the fact that they know when and where to place that is it, it was perfect. And it was a beautiful scene, no matter how heartbreaking it was to watch. Yeah, it's clever because you're watching the fire like just go out and everything too, and it's like, hello, like somebody scream or stand up or like give me some indication of what happened to these four. Come on, five. five. Yeah, yeah, that that was great. How you had like the initial afterglow from the explosion kind of like slowly subside. So by the time the credits are over, it's it's almost entirely dark except for the little embers here and there providing a little bit of glow. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the way that movie ended. You just have, you know, Indiana, his father and Sala all riding off into the sunset and it never really fades to black. You just watch them go further and further and further off into the sunset. Yeah, I really don't know the fate of our characters, though. I think that's going to be the biggest question. And uh, did either of you stick around after the credits, hoping that we would get a post credit scene? Because... Mm-hmm. I didn't ex- I didn't expect to given the the dark ending there but I was pleasantly surprised that we yeah, got it. Yeah. It did make me laugh though. I will say that much. They they definitely took the weight off a little bit cuz it was still the dark like yeah. Tanjiro's dying. What's going to happen? And then Nezuko pops up. We'll find out next week. For now, you want to learn about headbutts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually glad you you, you mentioned that too because uh, I would be remiss if we didn't discuss that revelation about the headbutt. I was genuinely surprised to learn that he got his hard head from his mother as opposed to his father. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything necessarily to read into that, but I love the uh, imagery of her headbutting Inosuke <laughs> pretending to be a boar. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, Good stuff. I found a chart that has everyone's age and birthdays and their height. Oh. All right. Run through it real quickly for us, if you will. Uh, I'm going to throw out Rengoku first because not only did he die at 20, but he has my birthday of May 10th. Oh, cool. And he's 5'10. Which makes Shorter Tengen... than I expected. Yeah, Tengen is 23 with a Halloween birthday of October 20, 31st. And okay. he's 6'6. Okay, I knew yeah. he was tall. But... Does anybody else know 6? He made Jima. Who's that? That could that could be coming from the manga, so don't read too far uh, into some of those yeah. names. I'm sure it, it it's really cool. Like it it is just like quick bios on everybody. Like nothing spoilerly on here. Okay. Uh, there's somebody who's like seven something. Well, if I if I remember, yeah. I'll try and link it somewhere on one of the socials so that people can uh, take a look at that themselves. Yeah. Uh, Daki and Giotaro are 13 years apart. Daki being 113 years old and Giotaro being 126. Interesting. So I'm guessing they were probably like 13 and 26 when they were turned or something along those lines. And it's been 100 years, if I had to hazard a guess. Um, While we're on the topic of looking Mm -hmm. things up, I also found the quick answer to what the words that uh, Uzui was saying when he broke down the score. Those are actually just numbers. I oh, I believe it was okay. one three. I, I don't know if it was one three five seven or one three seven five. Um, but basically, he was just counting through. So I'm guessing it was something along the lines of what you were talking about, Zuhair. Of he was either counting beats or counting notes on the scale. It could be something along those lines. But yes, those are numbers in Japanese. 
Yeah, maybe like a time signature is what it sounds like to me. Oh, yeah, it could be something along yeah. those lines. Yeah. So Guillaume right. Himejima is the really big one, the one that's always crying and praying. He's 27. His birthday is August 23rd, and he is 7'2". Oh, whoa. Big boy. Yeah. Giyu Tomioka was apparently 19 when we first met him. He's 21 by episode 15. Okay. And then Tanjiro was 13 when we met him. He's 15 now, with Nezuko being 12 when we met her, and 14 now. Okay. But she doesn't really age, so. Yeah. And Zenitsu's 16, and Elsuke's 15. So Zenitsu's the oldest one of the crew. You know, I do think I knew that, because that was kind of, I think they poked fun at that at one point. Like, you were the oldest. Why are you the, like, sniveling hide-behind-us of the group? That's yeah. so crazy that this whole crew is just like everybody's like early in college dealing with high schoolers. Yeah, it's it's a young Certainly. dynamic when like we think about them as adults and that's not the case for them to be literally saving the world. Makes me feel that much more unaccomplished. <laughs> just <kidding. laughs> oh jeez. I I just do kidding. wonder is that a little bit of why like the general public does not take the Demon Slayer core seriously? Like obviously most of them don't know about it, but even when they see them, they're oh. like, why is this person running around with a sword? Like, do you think it's because they just look at a bunch of, you know, 16 to 20 year olds running around being like, what are you doing? Why are you like this? Like, I mean, you would think the destruction of a whole district would be like incentive enough to like recognize a demon core to a higher level. Yeah, actually, maybe start a recruiting process for them. I don't know. Yeah, actually, this did remind me of a question that I completely forgot about is, does this happen every time that they fight a Hashira? Like, you can't tell me none of the others were also not giving up a fight like this. So how is this much destruction going on? And it's like, like we said, the first time that it's really being noticed that the Demon Slayer core isn't public knowledge, if they're probably doing decent damage to property every single time. Yeah, it makes me wonder if there's like one of the upper rank demon has some like ability to maybe like hypnotize the public or impact their memory or something like that. Or maybe one of the Hashira may do it just to keep the, yeah, you know, it, it could have been mania. It could have been Enmu actually, because just oh, put people go. to sleep while they're fighting a Hashira so that no one is actually like paying attention to what's going on so they can tear up the town and do what they need to. But now mm. they don't have Enmu, so perhaps we're kind of right, and people will notice now because they can't do a little men in black and memory wipe everybody. Yeah, good reference. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, last interesting thing. Yeah. I was watching The Last Samurai last night just because I hadn't seen it in so long. And like, it kind of made the timeline kind of match up because we talk about this being in like the early 1900s, and The Last Samurai was like 1877. Mm-hmm. So this is the fall of the samurai. Uh, General Custard's last stand, and then mm-hmm. uh, you know there was like dialogue about the emperor talking about how we're like transitioning to the west and updating our stuff, and they're talking about like, these nice guns and big guns stuff like that. So I thought it was like while I was watching Last Samurai, I was thinking about the fact that I was watching Demon Slayer today, and that I don't that the whole like timeline stuff that we were talking about just kind of makes sense by why things look the way they do. Yeah, I'm pretty confident that this story is going to take place on in the on the side of the world that it, it currently is. But it just kind of made me have a little chuckle imagining like a Teddy Roosevelt demon just being like. Holy. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an amazing Brilliant. spinoff show, like the cowboy demon slayers <laughs> that are currently 
operating on the other side of the world. <laughs> uh, that'd be pretty cool. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, it sounds like we're uh, towards the end of the episode here. So I will uh, open up the floor for you guys to let the people know what you have going on. Yeah, so I got to a guest on a podcast called The 323 with Reed Murphy. That's R-E-I-D. We talked about the Washington football team now being the Washington Commanders. Uh, So just Mm. kind of like our ups and downs about all that, what the team means to us, stuff in the NFL. But we also talked a lot about uh, animation, too, some of his favorite shows. Uh, He he put me on the spot and asked me about uh, my favorite uh superhero adaptations that have been put into comic book form so if you want to know the answer to that go check it out on anywhere you find your podcast what's the name of the podcast one more time for the folks the 323 with reed murphy very cool andrew what do you want to let the people know about uh as per usual just follow us on our social medias i'm taking care of that and uh starting to toy around with some new stuff so you'll be able to hear little snippets of the podcast maybe send those off to your friends to intrigue them and be like, Hey, this is what I actually listen to. This is what people talk about. So yeah, keep following us there. And that's all I got for this week. Yeah. A very valiant effort there. I'm really impressed with some of the things you're doing. So that's exciting. Definitely give us a like and a follow on our social medias for myself. I will just remind everyone about that review contest. The first five reviews we get on Apple podcast, or if you review, otherwise let us know you'll be entered into a drawing to get a custom commission cartoon of your choosing. Um, other than that, I did appear on Pandavision for Peacemaker with Matthew Carroll, and it sounds like I'm going to try and join them uh, going forward every episode so far. So if you like James Gunn's Suicide Squad, this show is on HBO Max and it is absolutely hilarious. I can't recommend it enough. So check out Pandavision. And on that note, I will say... Keep tuning in. That's T-O-O-N-I-N. Till next week, muscle, muscle. Stay whelmed. Thank you for listening to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, a proud member of the Strand Panda Network. If you would like to contact us, you can email animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at animationdelib1. For this and other great shows, you can visit strandapanda.com or join the great community that is the Strandapanda Chat Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash svchat. Tune in next time, and remember, stay whelmed. At Solomon Brothers Jewelers, their customers always come first. They're a family business that has been setting the standard of customer care for over 30 years. They have thousands of in-stock options for wedding bands, engagement rings, and loose diamonds, and can promise the lowest prices at the highest quality. A diamond marks a new chapter in your life. Trust Solomon Brothers experts with commemorating the most precious moments in your life. Visit SolomonBrothers.com today to begin making memories. When you're at Walt Disney World Resort for the world's most magical celebration, every moment is amazing and the memories last a lifetime. Because when you celebrate with us, nothing could be more magical. Stay near the magic. Book your theme park tickets and get hotel rates from $94 per night plus tax at DisneySpringsHotels.com slash 50. Rates based on availability. Blockout dates may apply. See website for details. Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower, every note, or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, Cruise. 
lives in. You can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at AmFam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. There's a highway that stretches across the 93 days of summer where worship isn't offered to the sun, but to the smoking tire, the S-curve, and the spin turn. And if you ride it, make sure you do it in a Dodge Charger, Challenger, or Durango. Because on this highway, the lines being blurred are the ones between drivers and demons. Welcome to Highway 93. Dodge is a registered trademark. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard-to-recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. plastics can be so much more. Give the trash a second chance it was hoping hard-to-recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag program happening in your neighborhood today.